Hello, my name is Chris. And my name is Jacob. And you are listening to the Culinary Caucus. The premier podcast at the intersection of food and politics. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have a special guest on tonight. Every night we have a special guest on. This one is particularly special. His name is Jordan Stein. Um, so give it up. No offense to previous guests. Ooh, no offense. <laughs> no elevating the previous guests. Uh, welcome, Jordan. Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, all right. So, um, so, so why don't you go ahead and say your name, your expertise, and your favorite vacation spot. So I am Jordan Stein. I'm the director of communications at Gun Owners of America. And anywhere where there's mountains and trees and streams and no people is my favorite vacation spot. All right. And you're from North Carolina, right? I am from North Carolina. So, so I'm sure there's plenty of places yep. like that there. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, I'm Chris. Um, you all know me. Political blogging. Uh, favorite vacation spot. Uh, similar to what Jordan described, but it's actually a, a camp that I used to go to. Um, it's called Camp Ligonier in Pennsylvania. Just rolling hills. Uh, beautiful green. Um, awesome, awesome weather during the summer. So, hey, my name is Jacob. Expertise is pastry and baking. Um, my favorite vacation spot is probably anywhere that my family is. Hmm. Sounds pretty sappy, but um, particularly sappy. on the West Coast, um, Washington State. I've got a lot, a lot of family out there, um, and I just. Really like vacationing there. Yeah. Washington State's a great place. All right. Um, so let's see. What's up next? Ah, Roundup. So, Jordan, go ahead and why don't you give your Roundup story. I, I have a story that kind of broke today. Um, as we all know, uh, Representative Steve Scalise was shot over the summer very in a very tragic and evil attack. Um, but a story broke today that uh, one of the head gun, gun control leaders actually called him on the first day when he got back to Congress and lobbied him to support gun control. And that just kind of struck me as kind of inappropriate when this, you know, hero who came back and overcome, overcame a, a traumatic experience and an injury just to lobby him to, uh, to uh, support gun control on the first day he's back. I just thought that was a little distasteful. Do you know which group it was? Um... Gabby Guilford's group. Oh, okay. Yep. Oh, so it was probably Gabby Gifford's. Yeah, I believe it was her husband, and his name's escaping me at the moment. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I, they called him on the first day, and, you know, you, I have no problem with the antis talking to congressmen, but <laughs> on the first day when, when, he, when he comes back, that just seems a little distasteful, in, in my opinion. Bad timing. Hmm. Yeah. Um, well, my story is related to the attacks that happened... Um, in Niger, so um, as you all know, we have, well, actually, you may not know, um, we have troops in Niger, and I'm actually realizing just now that I've been listening to it referred to as Niger when I would have otherwise said Niger, <laughs> um, but no, it is Niger, that's how you pronounce the country, and we actually have, uh, I believe, 10,000 troops there, um, but the Daily Beast uh, was reporting that most senators actually didn't know that we had troops there because there was a recent attack there um, and some uh, soldiers died on a mission, um, which is really unfortunate and tragic. Um, but the senators sort of in response to it, uh, they actually, a lot of them when they were asked about it, they didn't know that we had troops there, which, which I thought was kind of crazy. Like, 
they're in charge of, you know, the military. Uh, Congress is in charge of, you know, choosing which wars to go to. Um, that's, you know, part of the Constitution where they have that power. <laughs> um, but they didn't even know where we had our troops stationed and fighting, um, which I thought was kind of a reflection on um, just how big and, and bungled sort of our... Um, all of like the government knowledge is and specifically maybe in foreign policy there's some implications there so yeah that's my story yeah. uh my my um recent news story is that jfk was assassinated no Shocking. but it is relating to that you heard um, it here first folks <laughs> <laughs> breaking news um Actually, the files um, relating to the case for his assassina assassination were being set to be released uh, today. And thousands of files went live and can be viewed on the National Archives website mm. as of today, I believe. Um, but there are still thousands more that are being needed to be reviewed first. So if you have some spare time, go scavenge through those and see yeah. if you can find out something interesting that... That nobody's noticed before. Yeah. I don't know. I'm wondering if we're going to see, I don't know, some kind of new information that <laughs> was previously undisclosed. I'm just thinking for all, like, the retired FBI agents and intelligence people, if they, like, maybe they had some missing clues that only they know and they find out information, they're like, I knew it! I knew <laughs> it! Like, they find something else about something unrelated. I don't know. Because I, I feel like with just the amount of information that the government has and the files that they contain... Um, and all the th different things they do, um, that these release files will have some sort of sensitive information that will relate to something that someone has to <laughs> has to believe is important, <laughs> which is so vague, I know. But I'm just thinking of a neighbor of mine who used to work for the FBI. No names said, but... Huh. Yeah. yeah. There you go. That's that, the roundup. That, that's the roundup, folks. All right. So uh, let's just dig into our... Guest, not dig into him with a fork because this is the culinary caucus dig into him in the sense of asking him questions <laughs> that, Thanks for the clarification. i probably wouldn't be too tasted anyway so. <laughs> all right yeah no that's very true uh, i mean i wouldn't know um, <laughs> <laughs> nope yes you sure don't <laughs> all right so jordan um so you are uh the communications director for gun owners of america um so you're are you here representing your employer or um, if you can just kind of clarify that. Yeah, we kind of yeah. About that when we're already. talking about Second Amendment issues, you know, I'm speaking for GOA and and uh, what we think about gun rights. Okay, awesome. But uh, any other issues, you are not speaking for GOA. If there's something that's not Second Amendment related, then that would be my own personal opinion. Okay, so when we talk about the cookies, that is your personal opinion. That is it not, is not the It is. It is my personal opinion <laughs> okay. on how great the cookies are. They okay. smell delicious. So. Yeah. Mm. But yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, what got you passionate about gun issues in particular? Like, what can you can you pinpoint like a moment or maybe a series of events that uh, led you to this passion? Yes, it was. Uh, it was growing up in a in a conservative town in North Carolina. I was growing up around guns, and I'd shot and I'd hunted. Um, never really took it too seriously though, but. Uh, then the uh, 2012 election came around, and I was a upperclassman in high school, 
and uh, then Sandy Hook came around and uh, I, I was pro-gun but I didn't have a fire for it and then just with that election happening and with Sandy Hook happening it just made me realize that there's some people who don't agree with me on this gun issue so I, I need to get involved and then uh, I went to Liberty University and I, I founded a gun rights club there and oh. uh, did some good work there I helped uh, get guns in the dorms so you students mm. could carry in the dorms. I also helped and encouraged the university to build a massive range, one of the biggest ranges on the East Coast. Um, and now I work full time for GOA. So I've been I've been working in gun rights pretty much my entire <laughs> life. Yeah. So this is a really uh, obviously contentious issue. Um, and is that something that you like enjoy about it? Like you enjoy kind of having those arguments and debates and that. Um, like kind of getting into the nitty-gritty on different issues related to gun rights? Well, I certainly recognize that there are people on the right and left who disagree with me on that, on this issue. But uh, I, I, I enjoy having a civil, um, you know, polite discussion. Uh, and oftentimes that doesn't happen in the Facebook comments on the Internet. But, you know, I'm hoping for tonight we can have a great discussion about gun rights. Yeah, absolutely. So, um... I guess the very first question would be, what is the Second Amendment? Um, and I know that that sounds like a really basic question. Maybe our listeners are thinking like, wow, uh, what a basic question. But um, I think that does kind of need some uh, clarification for today. Uh, so so what what is the Second Amendment guarantee us exactly? Sure, and uh, I'm glad you said the word guarantee um, because a lot of people have the idea that the Second Amendment or, Second Amendment or the Bill of Rights entirety give us rights and and that's simply not true that the, the Second Amendment guarantees the right to keep and bear arms it doesn't give you the right to keep yeah. and bear arms or or does it even really guarantee I mean obviously it, you can, it, you can, it certainly guarantees or enshrines and protects the right to keep and bear arms okay. but it doesn't and nor does any of the Constitution or the Bill of Rights give rights to the people rights are inherent uh, rights are God-given rights are natural um, and they, they don't come from the government or a piece of paper or from the fellow man. They're, they're natural and God-given as human beings. So I, I'm glad you picked up on, on that and said that. But the, the Second Amendment protects an individual's right to keep and bear an, an arm, and an arm is whatever the military, you know, fills to their soldiers. You know, quite simply, you look at what the founders said at the times and the, the I like the militia act of, of uh, 1792 which required you know males of a fighting age to own a military style weapon and um, you know it's so that's that's quite simply what it protects it doesn't protect hunting mm -hmm. or sports shooting it protects uh, you know the individual's right to, to keep and bear arms now the phrase before it is uh, a well-regulated militia being necessary uh, for and I don't even know the exact words. You could probably sure, right. yeah. Um, but but I I've heard that the interpretation of that is that the um, what the founders meant was that they only want um, guns to be for sort of like the military to mm -hmm. own, sure, um, as opposed to sure. sort of your average citizen. What? How do you respond to that? Well, in several ways, and that that's such a great point. One of the things I love about the Second Amendment is exactly how it's written. It's 26 words. It's very short. It's very simple. The first half of the Second Amendment, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The first half. 
it simply states why the right is needed. It doesn't say it's giving you a right, it's saying why it's needed. So a well-regulated militia, you look at the time, you look at the context around the, the term regulated, it doesn't mean to put regulations and, 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 uh, and rules and, and requirements on a right, it meant well-trained. You look at the, web, the, the dictionary on that from the Times, well-trained, well-organized, and uh, you know, militias, you look at the time were uh, composed of the common uh, the common man. I one founder quote comes to mind and says that he the militia is the yeoman of the country, which means the farmers, the the everyday Joe. So, the a well trained everyday person with firearms being necessary necessary to the security of a free state, right? That ensures our freedom. It, it protects us from enemies foreign and domestic. So that's kind of the first half. It's, you know, a well-trained individual who is going to protect his, his, his country, his, his you know, political entity. And then the second half of the, the right to keep and bear arms, the Second Amendment, a, a right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, it simply states what's being protected. You know, so you, you have why it's needed in the first half and then what is protected in the second half. So, so, oh yeah, go, um, sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah, okay. Well, I'll, so my understanding of what you said is that the first half is not saying um, this is the only context in which it's permissible, but um, this is the end which is only achievable if we have the right. Is that kind of what you're saying? Like we can only have a well-regulated militia if we have people who are able to bear arms in the first place. Uh. I think you you're meaning a free state to, if for, for people to bear arms. So a well regulated a well regulated militia or a well trained common man a yo man mm -hmm. um, is necessary to a free state. That's kind of okay. the essence. So so to have freedom, the everyday yo man farmer needs to be armed. Okay. Um, yeah. So that makes sense. Um, so another kind of and I kind of like going through the objections because sure. I think that most people don't. Uh, maybe no um, sort of certain sides of the issue. Um, so another objection is the idea that the Second Amendment is no longer applicable today because the founders would have not envisioned sort of the capacity of weapons um, that people have today and um, like they had muskets in those mm -hmm. days and so because the weapons of today are so much more powerful mm -hmm. than they were before. Um, I, I think that is just such a silly silly argument you know today we have Facebook and, and Twitter and social media and emails and computers and everything and think about it if we applied that logic to the First Amendment right like you're the First Amendment only applies to a parchment and a quill pen no one in their right mind would would agree with that you know so why do we apply that logic to the second amendment because surely the if the founders couldn't have imagined a very complex computer that we're recording this podcast on they couldn't imagine that you know so why would that be uh protected by the first amendment hmm. so is there any case in the constitution as a whole where you would see some room for um, reinterpretation as the years progress well, there is a method to change our constitution, and that's very clearly laid out. But you know, like I said, if we didn't ha have a Second Amendment, because rights don't come from the Second Amendment, we'd still have a right to keep and bear arms. And that was kind of the great debate uh, with our with our founders. You had Federalists and Anti-Federalists. You know, the Federalists kind of argued for not having a Bill of Rights because, in their view, they saw that 
the Constitution isn't giving you power to regulate guns, so you can't regulate guns. And the Anti-Federalists said, hold up, let's have an extra layer of caution here, and they argue for a Bill of Rights. Hmm. Interesting. So I think, I think kind of what Jake was, was getting at, and at, which I think is the next logical question, is why is the Second Amendment, in the context of today's sort of uh, power and capacity of weapons, um, still relevant, and I and I guess the logical follow-up to be included in that is, um, given that um, the level of violence that we've seen, sort of with with guns and with uh, sort of high-capacity uh, weapons, is there not a justification, or what what uh, what would be the justification for not? Well, overall, I would argue that we have more guns in America now, and and where people can carry and actually exercise the right to keep and bear arms. It's a very safe place. Uh, uh, Vermont comes to mind. You know, Vermont is maybe liberal on some other issues, but they have almost no gun control in their state. Anyone, any good guy can carry a gun without a permit. They can just walk down the mm -hmm. street and put a gun in their pocket, uh, concealed or otherwise. And they, Vermont is consistently one of the safest states in, in the country. And when, where you look, um, where people can actually carry and and exercise their right to keep their it's, it's a safer place. You look at Chicago, or literally right across the river from where we're recording in D.C., who has very strict gun laws in D.C., very strict gun laws in in Chicago, and yet they consistently have very high crime rates. Hmm. And then right across the river in, in Virginia, it's much a much safer place when you can carry um, yeah. in a pretty gun-friendly state of Virginia. So I, I think that brings up an interesting question because um, could we not credit that difference in violence to sort of culture and the affluence of the area as opposed to the availability of guns? Um, and if, um, for example, if we were to apply D.C.'s gun laws to Virginia, uh, would we not see, um, like we, we know, that, for example, D.C. is a very violent place because it's a city and there are obviously like sections of uh, the population they're very violent being gangs and things like that that you don't necessarily see in sort of wealthier areas and so my question is how do we know that uh, it's the gun laws that are leading to that increased violence not culture of course crime is a very complex issue but one thing i will say to that is each each state that has adopt, adopted Vermont-style carry laws, permitless carry or constitutional carry, has seen a decrease in crime. You look at um, uh, Arizona, which has a permitless carry state, their crime went down. When you let people defend themselves, you know, regardless of, of the culture, uh, you, you do see a, a, an increase in, in safety. Okay. So um, a big aspect of the gun debate is sort of... Uh, Comparing our system in the United States, because as you know, our you know country and Switzerland um, are we're unique in the sense that we have lots of citizens with arms um, that other countries don't necessarily have. Like England, um, it's very stringent on the gun laws, and so there are a lot of comparisons with their gun laws and sort of the and also in Australia where they had a, a gun buyback in I believe 1996. Gun confiscation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, that was wonder like. Buyback wasn't necessarily the right uh, term. Buyback is such a, a <laughs> terrible word because it implies that the gun is the government's in the first place. You know, like, it, a gun is your own private property, legitimately held property. The government can't buy it back. So the whole principle of a buyback is is just a flop. So it's, so it's sort of a uh, 
communications like where the, it's the a, it's a PR stunt to cover confiscation. Okay. Um, yeah. So, but could you talk a little bit about like sort of the statistical comparisons? Have you looked into that at all? One stat that is remarkable to me um, compares France um, in 2015 alone, and then uh, the United States in the eight years of Obama's presidency. Okay, more people died from mass shootings in France in one year of 2015 than in the eight years of Obama's presidency in the United States. So, France with its almost complete gun control, there's no concealed carry in France, mm -hmm. there's no private ownership of AR-15s in France, you know, more people died of mass shootings in France than in eight years of America. Okay, so, I think, I think this kind of leads us to maybe the root question, because I think statistical comparisons and things like that are kind of dicey to work with. Do you believe that if we were to enact... Uh, sort of a ban on, and I think I believe the the real like hot button issue right now that I think the culture kind of is having is whether to ban semi-automatic weapons. Do you believe that such a ban would make us safer? Do you have any reason to believe that, or or not? I think it would dramatically decrease uh, our, our safety. Be for the one, for the simple reason that criminals don't care about gun laws. And, and then you, you look at if we ban semi-automatics, um, then we're disarming um, law-abiding citizens who use guns in self-defense. It reminds me of a, of a case in Texas to where uh, a homeowner used an AR-15, the, the quote-unquote assault weapon, the so-called assault weapon, to defend him, his house from three armed thugs. They, they shot at him 40 times. Luckily, he wasn't hit, but he was able to defend himself with an AR-15 with the so-called high-capacity magazine, and if he didn't have that rifle, he, he, he probably would have been dead. And, and then there's the case of a, a, a lady in Arizona, that constitutional carry said I was talking about earlier, walking out of a Circle K. Uh, a guy comes up behind her and, and points a gun to her face. She does this... Uh, this move and she draws her gun and in, in, in one motion she shoots the guy um, walking out <laughs> wow. of a 7-Eleven no permit required and she defends herself so if you want to take away semi-automatics you're, you're taking away those people's right to defend themselves because those people who attacked the the, the homeowner or the, or the girl they don't care about the gun laws now it sounds like a pretty intense lady. <laughs> I wouldn't want sounds to mess like with a, her. It sounds and, like and Black Widow. Like <laughs> she, she's proven that she's not a lady to be messed with. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. So that's. Uh, so can you dig into the? Uh, you talked about the quote-unquote assault rifles. Um, why do you say quote-unquote? Because you have the term assault weapon. Um, and that's the term made up by the the media and the Democrats. You even if you Googled uh, assault weapon and you looked up the wiki page, it even says this is a term manufactured by the media and the the Democrats. But doesn't that, but doesn't have some merit in the sense that it's referring to weapons that um, are designed to take on a sort of bigger enemy or so. Or I don't know of a military force in the world that uses an AR-15. Hmm. Um, I there I don't know of a, of any military in the for, uh, in the world that uses an AR-15. They don't use them. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, but but you would concede though that they're more powerful weapons than sort of the average Joe's. Uh, um, 
their so hunting rifle ability to protect themselves. I mean, I because I think the argument is that these weapons are so powerful that if your goal is simply self-defense, uh, why not use a less powerful the, weapon? The AR-15 is much, much weaker than your average hunting round. Um, the 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 round the 270, which is a very common hunting round. I wish I brought some to show you. Is a much bigger bullet. It's a heavier bullet. It moves faster. It has a much more kinetic energy than the the 556 five, round that the AR, AR-15 shoots. Hmm. Um, so in fact, like that logic is kind of doesn't make sense because the AR-15 is a weaker. It's almost a puny round. You know, when you come to think about it, compared to uh, the 270 hunting hunting round. Okay, yeah, but the capacity—the capacity—that so that's kind of something else you talked about. High capacity. Uh, what is the argument against but making sure the rifles that citizens can only have sort of lower capacity rifles? That's not well, banning their. First of all, we guns, have a bill right? of rights and and not a bill of needs. So you don't need to have something to own it, right? You don't need a sports car um, that can go three times over the speed limit, mm -hmm. but we can, we still have them. Right, and, and second of all, I would argue that there is a need for for these rounds um, because you might be attacked by two or three individuals, um, you know. Or if you're a woman, you know, a, one individual might need more rounds to stop him. If he might be hyped up on drugs, he may want to assault the woman, and he may not stop after one or two. Uh, and there are multiple cases to where um, people have used many more rounds than just you know, 10 rounds or whatever. And, and an another thing to that point, these restrictions are just arbitrary because what makes 10 rounds low capacity and 30 rounds high capacity? You know, is, is it just a cutoff? Like, like what is, what's the line? You know, is, is 10 rounds is okay, but 11's not? Or it's just arbitrary and there's no, there's no point to it. So, Jake, do you have any... Questions? Anything to add? Uh, I'm learning a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a lot of information. I do this um, for yeah. a living, so. <laughs> yeah. So, then, uh, um, so, other question I have. So, one of the main justifications for the Second Amendment, as you sort of alluded to, is uh, citizens protecting themselves from government tyranny. Um, and I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about the history of that um, in the United States, but also the idea that, I mean, to most people, the idea that the government will sort of come up against us seems kind of extreme. Um, so I was wondering if you could sort of speak to those points. Well, one, I think the point that the citizens being armed has kept the government abageous in a general sense. But However, there has been times when, uh, even in, in modern history, where people have used arms against a corrupt government. I point to the, the Battle of Athens in, in Athens, Tennessee, uh, right after World War II. Um, World War II vets came back. They came back to a corrupt, corrupt local town, a government that rigged elections, and um, the the town actually uh, kept the ballot box secret. And um, and uh, citizens, the the World War II vets who took their guns, their privately owned guns, and and marched on the uh, the ballot box, and and shots were fired and exchanged. And uh, actually, and eventually the vets won and uh, kept the government at bay, and they, then they had a fair election. So th there have been circumstances to where, you know, there have been corrupt governments, um, and the citizens have, uh, uh, hmm. you know, kept them in check. Yeah. Gave them a reminder of who was really, really in charge. And and that kind of, and 
you don't have to comment on this at, in your official capacity if you don't want to. Um, but my understanding, I mean, I think it's kind of ironic how um, sort of with the rise of Donald Trump and obviously I have my problems with Donald Trump, but the main criticism that many people sort of in the resistance movement have had of Trump is that he has authoritarian tendencies, um, that the United States is lo sort of losing its democracy and whatnot. Um, and my understanding is, oh, well, it, it's if it, like, on one hand, many people argue, oh, it will never happen, the government will become tyrannical. On the other hand, people are saying, oh my goodness, it's becoming tyrannical right now. Um, and so I think there's some sort of tension between those two views. <laughs> well, well, first of all, the the, the antifita, the 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 resistance, whatever you the, want to call the antifa, them, antifa, antifa, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's so hard to pronounce. It's <laughs> very strange, but um, they're now they're feeling how gun owners felt in the last uh, eight years with Obama. Obama was the gun salesman of the decade. He sold more guns than ever, uh, selling them like hotcakes. I, I just find it ironic that the resistance types. Are fearing tyranny. When you when you say when you say he's a he was a gun salesman, what do you mean by that? Gun sales ro soared under Obama. They uh, he they were record gun sales during his presidency. Oh, is it because uh, is it why is that like just people, people were, they were, gonna take were away or? people yes people saw him as a threat to their gun rights, especially after Sandy Hook, uh, even after. Uh, uh, the Alexandria shooting after Las Vegas, even you now then, after but any, even after any, after shooting, any right? shooting or attack, or even the the attacks in Europe with uh, ISIS attacks or whatever, people saw that that well, that could happen to me. I want to be able to protect myself. And, and gun sales soar, and they're still going very strong currently. It just hasn't died off because President uh, President Trump is president. But um, you know, I do, I do find it ironic that the resistance types. Are are scared that uh, Donald Trump is is authoritative or whatever, and whether that is a le legit or not is beside the point. But th they're the people who don't want to be armed, mm -hmm. and I just find that kind of ironic. Yeah, because if it were a true authoritarian government, you'd want to be heavily armed. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so let's take a quick break uh, and try our food item. And actually, we may kind of finish off with a food item. Um, seeing as we're at a time right now where we might finish off, but uh, Jacob, do you want to take it away? Yeah, sure. So, with fall becoming ever more present, trees are finally changing colors and all that. Uh, I don't know, I'm taking this to much lighter time. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, like, it's like such a huge shift. <laughs> like, we're talking about, like, oh deep gun issues, and now we're talking about, like, with fall around you know the corner. It's kind of a relief. Okay. It's so, kind of a relief. Yeah, mm. the relief. Okay, let's not fall for that one. Uh, <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Uh, okay, mm. ready to put these cookies in my atum. Uh, <laughs> 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 oh, I really should have stopped with the fall one. Okay. Um, uh. <laughs> wow, okay, so yeah, in any case, um, these cookies are very fall themed. They're um, caramel apple cider cookies. Wow. So you'll definitely taste the apple in them. I'm gonna let you guys just try them first, and then I'm gonna talk mm. about them. Ooh. Yeah. So uh, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Very good. Hmm. Hmm. Mm mm mm. I've I've had better. <laughs> no, no, it's it's so good. Good stuff. 
Yeah, as you, always. It kind of reminds me of the, like, cinnamon apple instant oatmeal, but mm. with chewy caramel in the center. And yeah. much better than instant oatmeal. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, so these are these are really simple. This is kind of... Um, I don't mean to undersell myself, but really they are pretty simple. Um, <laughs> it, this is like the definition of the home cook's recipe. And honestly, I would not sell this um, where I work. And the reason for that is that it's not like... A, a super premium recipe. It's it's something that uses pre-made things. Like I, I've said in the past that I, I love to make caramel from scratch. And in this case, um, I was going kind of for simplicity, like I sometimes do with these um, food items. And so I I did I did use some pre-made caramel, which just kind of makes me sad to think about. But um, yeah, so kind of along those lines, I I don't think that I would sell this at work because um, where I work is is quite a bit of a high-end um, place where the customers are expecting like the most premium of ingredients so I would I would probably try and find a way to incorporate like chunks of apples into a cookie like this if I were to make it there um, as well as caramel made from scratch um, and all that so so yeah I mean not not to undersell these I mean I think that the the flavor came out really nice and strong but um, I think that there are also some some changes I would make to them, um, as well. Seeing as th- this is the first time that I've attempted to make something with like this kind of flavor profile. Yeah, well, it's one of my favorite flavors. Oh yeah. Yeah, apples, and cinnamon, really good stuff, Jacob. Thank you. Yeah. Very good, delicious. Mm. It's wonderful. But Thanks. that but that's not GOA stance. <laughs> nope, nope. That's my personal <laughs> yeah. opinion. Yeah. <laughs> GOA does not comment on cookies. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so I'm trying to think of something else we can ask you, Jordan, uh, to kind of close out. Um, I don't know. What's your, like, what's your, <clears throat> what's, like, an idea, like, or what's an aspect of the gun debate that, like, gets you pumped up, that gets you excited? Like, is there any, any, like, one thing that you would really want people to know about the debate, um, that that you just want to let our audience know well as a final thought if i have one thing to say to say to somebody about guns is guns are not what you see in the movies uh, um the vast majority of movies and tv and media completely misrepresent guns and um and do not show what they're actually capable of how loud they are um, or how many rounds they can shoot, actually. Um, so I would encourage people, if you've never shot a gun before, go to a range, get with somebody who can show you how to safely operate a gun, and go shooting. Um, there's ranges around the country that can uh, be more than happy to do that with you, and just have the experience. And and you don't, you know, not saying that you have to buy a gun or carry a gun, but you know, just go shoot a gun. Um, and then it'll help you be more informed of what they're actually capable of and what they're actually like. That's a good point. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I'd say there's probably a lot of people making arguments for or against uh, gun laws without ever having tried it. Maybe that's why I've been so quiet this whole time. I've never shot a gun. <laughs> I'd be happy to take you <laughs> shooting. Just let me know. Oh, really? Awesome. For real. Yep. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's important to be 
well yeah. well informed on this topic. But but we should also note, in case any criminals um, are listening, that that doesn't mean Jacob can't defend himself. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right. I'll dodge your bullets. Kick uh. your gun out of your hand. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, Jordan Stein coming on the show. Thanks for having me on. I think we had a great chat. Yeah. And uh, from all of us here at the Culinary Caucus, have a, have great, a great 